Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is A Lot To Learn with Austin Rogers. For the guy who knows everything, he's still got a lot to learn. Without further ado, here's Austin. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. I have no idea what time it is because this is a podcast and you listen to podcasts whenever you might. Perhaps you are listening to it on your wireless device somewhere in the heart of Africa, which might be apropos because we are currently in the map room of the exclusive Explorers Club, which might not be as exclusive as we think because President Richard Weiss and explorer Alexander Richterman are are going to be discussing with us everything about the Explorers Club, what is left out there in the world, and how you can get out and do it yourself. Gentlemen, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you uh, so much for inviting me. Yeah, same here. Um, you are sitting in a very historic building, and I guess the word exclusive uh, all depends what your accomplishments are. We're a meritocracy here, so um, if you're a qualified member, then you find that it's a lot of the same kind of people with the same kind of qualifications. If um, you're not an explorer, then maybe it is a little exclusive. Well, that was the president, uh, Mr. Richard Weiss, talking. Tell us about the Explorers Club. You said it's historic. We're in an historic building that was once owned by a massive legacy New York royalty family. Um, where does it all start? Well, really, it starts in 1904 with a group of guys that were trying to be the first to the North Pole. And, you know, I think I'd like to start it from a, a question that I asked at our annual dinner this past March. Uh, we had 1,700 people, and I stood on the stage and I said, who here has been to the North Pole? And about 250 people raised their hands. I said, who here has been to the South Pole? About 200 people raised their hands. I said, has anybody here been to the Marianas Trench? And you know, there's only been four people have ever done that. Mm -hmm. And someone was there, raised their hand. I said, has anybody been on the summit of Everest? I don't know, about 15, 20 people. And there was one woman uh, from Nepal that uh, had summited nine times more than any other woman uh, who I incidentally found working in a uh, Whole Foods doing dishes in Connecticut, which is a whole separate story. Wow. And then I said, um, has anybody here been to outer space? And about, I don't know, 35 people raised their hand. Anybody been to the moon? Six people. And then I said, <laughs> let's throw the gauntlet down a little further. I said, uh, has anybody ever sent a spacecraft out of our solar system? And Alan Stern from the New Horizon program, sheep, sheepishly, no one does that here, raised their hand and said, I have. So you just get an idea of that and... You mentioned historic building. Uh, this uh, building was owned by the Clark family, which previously, or the same people who built the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. But if you've ever read the book Harry Potter, you know, people talk about Hogwarts. This is like Hogwarts this for This is adults. like Hogwarts there for adults. There are secret entrances, conversation, and the unbelievable part is that people actually do talk about magic. Not in the traditional hocus-pocus sense, but the kind where they say, I have stepped out of an, a spacecraft and walked in space, or I've walked on the moon, or I've been on the summit of Everest. And that is magic. That is magic. Exploring is magic. And and yes, you yes, there were people who've walked on the moon, and people have launched spacecraft out. I mean, I bet none of them have been at Rudy's at 5.30 in the morning, uh, but... <laughs> Actually, among some explorers, that might not be off the uh, beaten path to be out uh, drinking at a bar at 5.30 in the morning. But that's the thing, the magic, the draw. Um, now, Alexander, you are an explorer in your own right, but you do it a little bit more accessibly than the heady, yes, you have done Kilimanjaro, but the, the heady uh, heights of uh, space travel and stuff like that. Uh, what brought you as a member to the Explorers Club, and what is some of that magic that you would like to harness? Sure. Um, so the best definition of an explorer that I 
heard from an interview is someone that goes out there and brings something back. So it's a lot more important than just going out there for yourself. You really need to find something and share it. So as a filmmaker, also much like Richard, um, I love creating documentaries and finding accessible subjects that are that I can uniquely t talk about. Um, so I go out there into the world and find subjects that I find interesting and hopefully the rest of the world does also, produce documentaries about them and share them through YouTube, through film festivals, and hopefully maybe uh, win a primetime Emmy like Richard here. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Alexander brought up an interesting point about uh, documenting things. I think with all explorers, there's this um, curiosity. But I also think that there's um, a tradition of storytelling. And storytelling really goes to the first person who ever ventured out of a cave or out of a tree, looked across a mountain or a lake and thought, hmm, I wonder what's on that side. And if you talk to virtually every uh, member here, and I've had conversations with Apollo astronauts or Sir Edmund Hillary, it all started with a young boy or girl who just was curious about things, you know, just wanted to know more, had a thirst for authenticity, of finding out being part of that adventure. And, and I think no matter how famous you get or how accomplished, it's sort of that, at least for me, is that young boy walking through the woods discovering something new. It is. It's universal. And, and like both of you just said, it is accessible. Uh, it is what's on the other side of the hill. I was privileged to grow up on a 5,000-acre nature preserve. If I walked out my backyard... Uh, and turn north, it would be six miles. Are you a Rockefeller and you haven't told us it's no. on your 5,000 little reserve there? No, uh, actually. outside of New York City. Well, my father was an employee of the County of Westchester, and we had County of Westchester housing that happened to be on the Ward Pound Ridge Reservation in Pound Ridge, New York, uh, of which, you know, 35 miles of trails, 4,700 acres. I have it all memorized in the top of my head. Uh, I taught nature camp counseling there and rock climbing and survival skills for the kids and stuff like that but that was in my backyard and Richard you are an accomplished you have tracked Jaguars you've uh, I'm saying this like like with a huge grin on my face because it's amazing you've cross-country skied across the Arctic yet you've written a book on exploring your backyard uh, where can where can people get this accessibility well I mean sometimes just walking outside um if you go to Grand Central Station and you look on the floor, you will find fossils up the wazoo. So while we have half a million people who walk through there every day hurrying to their trains, very few people realize there's a whole Jurassic Park of, 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 of creatures there. If you go to Saks Fifth Avenue, you'll notice coral fossils within the lettering. If you look at uh, a tree that's just been cut down and you look at the tree rings, you're looking at a history book. Uh, probably the best example of citizen science was during the eclipse, the solar eclipse two years ago. Oh, yeah. Where uh, the moon had its day in the sun or the sun had its day <laughs> in the moon. And people wanted to learn more about it. So virtually everywhere you go, there's something to look at differently. And even, you know, as, as a boy, I remember standing on my lawn with my father and talking about weather. I always knew a ring around the moon meant rain or snow within the next 24 hours. I've just known it since I was, you know, a little kid. And I think that once some of these things are pointed out to you, you start looking at the world differently. If you're uh, a twitcher or a birder, you're looking at trees differently. If you're a geologist, every time you go through a construction site, you're looking at uh, stratification of the earth. Uh, if you're an oceanographer, I mean, gosh, there's so many things to look at. But it, it, it's sometimes just looking at something right outside your door with a new set of, of eyes and, and, and senses about it. Alexander? Yeah. Um, so for me, it's all about finding your passion and sharing that passion with the world. So I started off college as an economics major, but three years into it, I was Nerd. Like, no, I'm joking. This, this isn't really for me. I couldn't fulfill my soul, and I didn't want any regrets looking back at my life. So I took my first solo trip abroad by myself, uh, took my first camera along and made a really awful documentary. <laughs> but I liked it so much, I kept on going. And then a year and a half later, after traveling to a few more countries, shooting a few more episodes, and I guess getting a little bit better at the whole video production documentary filmmaking thing, I won a Television Academy Foundation College Television Award Emmy. So my 
escapism was justified. My parents were like, yes, he might not be a bum his whole life. Uh, can I put words in your mouths uh, just to synthesize what you guys have just said? Uh, exploring is an attitude. I mean, I think a lot of life is is about attitude and perspective. And the attitude, for example, right now, um, as we're doing this podcast, there's an ocean week going on uh, beneath us. And so in the media, you hear a lot of doom and gloom uh, about uh, the planet. And what I've been hearing are people who can do the impossible. And uh, there was a report the, the other day saying that the Earth... Uh, and uh, humans might uh, end in 2050. Yes, I saw that. And I, I would differ from that because I've actually seen people do the impossible. And the whole idea of the Explorers Club, and I see modern exploration in terms of attitude, is using science and exploration to solve uh, problems on Earth to make humanity better. And so if the Earth were a stock, I'd say it's a buy. It's a long-term, high-yield um, proposition. And, and I have to believe, or, or I wouldn't get up in the morning, that people can actually um, alter things for good. And that is part attitude. And I, I just refuse to accept the doom and gloom. I, I, I very much like that attitude. And I also like how you couched it in sort of the evolution of the quote-unquote explorer's attitude right uh because the the legacy of exploration is let's be honest problematic you know we've got imperialism and we've got conquest and we've got uh uh rapine uh, uh, uh um what's the word i'm looking for uh resource pillaging and stuff like that and that was sort of uh, now a lot of it was like you know to boldly push mankind but there was always sort of an attitude of you know not necessarily the great white savior but something along those lines and i really like that you said no there's there's something else both of you said connectivity meeting other people and also science and approaching the world in a new way can you guys talk to the change in attitude amongst the fraternity of exploration Sure. Um, so I became a member in 2015, and I started coming to events and programs over my last four years. And I've noticed that through the Explorers Club leadership, as well as programs and incentives, that there have been a push to get more younger people involved. When I first started coming, I was pretty much the youngest person there all the time in my 20s. And the age gap was basically me in early mid-20s, and the next person was probably in their 50s. Now there's a lot more people in their 20s, a lot more people in their 30s, and the club feels more welcome towards young people to help uh, push its future along. Richard? You know, if you look at the universal uh, laws of nature, if an organism or an organization doesn't continue to evolve and be relevant, it goes extinct. Mm -hmm. And I think that if I look at the uh, fabric of exploration, the perception is that it's a white male like myself. And, you know, I, I, I see it as a multicolored fabric that has every culture, uh, every stratification of, uh, of um, education. You know, I just recommended somebody from membership just a few weeks ago that's a new member from Alaska. He was a gold miner, and he came across one of the largest finds on Pleistocene-era um, mammals. Pleistocene is like mammoths, saber-toothed tigers up in Alaska. So while this guy wasn't traditionally trained, here you have a guy who's now part of our community that is contributing to science in, in a huge way. We have members from Mongolia. And I, I think we've only scratched the surface in that area. You know, I believe science does bring the world together. The first forays into detente between the Soviets and the Americans was scientists, people who spoke across of a common interest uh, of information. And I, and I, and I think that um, science is a very unifying thing. While people have pride in their national finds, I think scientists talk to other scientists or explorers to other explorers as that and not worrying so much about race, sex, all, all those kind of things. It's, it's, I find, more advanced than we are as a... Uh, human civilization as a whole. 
Yeah, maybe in in a way the body politic gets in the way of the human connection because when you're out there and you're out there in the wilderness, the guy to the left to you and the woman to the right of you are your comrades in this. They're no longer a Russian or a Croatian or anything along those lines. Um, well, it's I, interesting you use the term comrade because my comrade next to me actually does sort of straddle those two worlds because Alexander also is very fluent in Russian. So uh, you probably have a perspective that even I don't. Sure, yeah. So I was born in Ukraine and my parents immigrated to New York when I was young. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Um, so using that language, that culture, I have been given opportunities to go on expeditions and professionally use my skills as, as a Russian interpreter, translator, speaker, as well as a person that might understand the, the conditions that people in Soviet and ex-Soviet com- countries come from a bit better than people that don't have any experience going to those places. Like, for example, a person from England or the U.S. that doesn't really understand the mentality or can't even really begin to understand the mentality of a person that lived and grew up in an ex-Soviet country. Right, right. It's, uh, it's, I, it's, it's a buddy movie. I see the buddy movie in the making. You know, you've got the, the, the British aristocrat who has to come back to, down to earth because the rough and tumble American and then there's the dour Russian over in the corner and you're like, no, no, we're not actually all like that. <laughs> or the dour Ukrainian in the corner in this case. Um, well, now you're with your comrades in the bush or the desert or space. Um, you guys can both speak to this because you've been to some pretty hairy spaces and places. And it's sort of newsworthy right now with the, uh, the debacle on Mount Everest. Uh, exploring is hazardous. Uh, how does one balance the desire for either glory or pushing yourself with the friends and family left behind at home and the fact that you might not come back. Well, you know, when you refer to the Everest incidents, um, what I'd like to say, if you compare this versus the time of Shackleton. So in our now um, possibility is that you can be virtually any place on planet Earth within 24 hours if you had enough money. So if you had enough money, you could leave this podcast, get on a plane and be in Kathmandu and and into Everest Base Camp in a very quick time. What uh, the difference being is uh, money doesn't always buy the apprenticeship of skills. And so during the time of Shackleton, every one of those men could take care of themselves. And so you can buy into uh, sort of this uh, Instagram or uh, Facebook type mentality where it'd be really cool to get my picture on top of Everest or it uh, on the North Pole and, um, you know, that's where I, 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 I find the difference. I think that, um, you know, with access comes responsibility. And in all these places, things work really well until they don't. Right. Um, and, and, you know, the Everest. And you've got, you know, people falling off the rim of the Grand Canyon for that perfect Instagram photo. And then we've got national parks saying, please don't geotag that one meadow. If you take the photo, wait a couple weeks and post it later. Don't geotag it and tag it immediately because it's sort of a special place. And we don't want people to know exactly where it is unless 
they're experienced enough or they find it on the map because they're looking for it, not just a beeline straight to that one photo to turn around and leave again. Yeah, you know, I find that people want sort of Hemingway without the hangover, that they, you know, want to be in a perceived dangerous thing. So because um, travel has gotten safer and the availability and access to places, people are purposely putting themselves a little more in harm's way just to sort of have that adrenaline adrenaline or feeling of danger. And, and I can say, look, I've been on Everest. I've been on Kilimanjaro 14 times. I've been to the North Pole. I've been a lot of places. And um, I always have prided myself on being a pretty safe person that my experience growing up, if I see dark clouds on the horizon, I don't get in a sailboat and see how I'm going to try to save myself. I avoid it. And Alexander, as a filmmaker yourself, uh, both the Instagram culture and that Insta shot, uh, both the people getting it, uh, does that dilute the the actual explorer filmmaker or does it enhance it? And secondly, what sort of risks would you, where's your boundaries? Where would you go for that perfect shot? Sure. So I want to bring it back to attitude. Um, I think that How dare you? No. <laughs> for the people taking that photo right by the rim of the Grand Canyon or the, fo- the photo on top of Mount Everest, maybe they want to do that, but maybe it's because they saw all their friends doing it. As an Explorers Club member, as a filmmaker, as a person that's just curious about the world around them, I've, I want to do them for internal reasons as opposed to external reasons. And even the documentaries that I produce that I hope people watch, a big portion of that willingness to produce that story, that subject, really comes from internal. I want to tell that story because it's interesting to me and I want to share it. Um, whether or not people like it or want to buy it or I'll be able to build a profession off it, that's more secondary. Um, so as an example, I'm prepping for a trip to Antarctica in March of 2020 where I'll be shooting a documentary about Ukraine's research station down there. And as soon as I found out about the possibility of scuba diving in negative two degree water, I want to do it. So I already had some scuba diving experience and- But this is a different animal. This is a completely yeah. different animal. There, there are different animals, leopard seals, and leopard seals I've seen shake a penguin <laughs> out of their skin. So this is the sort of dad in me coming and Alexander, just think about this. I just wanna give you two non-Instagram moments. So a lot of people don't realize that there there is not a photo of Sir Edmund Hillary on the summit of um, Everest. No, there's a photo of uh, Norgay Tenzing, Tenzing taken right. by right. Edmund Hillary. The other one is there are no photos, still photos of Neil Armstrong on the moon. Uh, it, there, you could see the reflection, reflection in the visor. Exactly. So, so, you know, imagine getting back from your trip and, and you get your pictures back from Fromex or you know, Genevieve <laughs> or whatever the thing. And you go, hey, wait a minute. Wasn't I on this trip? <laughs> uh, yeah, but everyone, uh, we know their names. So that is even more worthy than the Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we know their comrades' names, who did it with them. So that's, that's, a, big, that's a big deal. Um, it, we didn't. We didn't f- sort of finish off on what I was going to talk about about the inherent dangers of exploring. And you said, Richard, you're a very safe person. And Alexander, you said you're going to take. And also, what you said about the uh, pay your dues. There's a way to pay with money, but there's the right way to pay with is which is with experience, being in the trenches and working up incrementally. I mean, per my own experience, you know, I was on the side of a, I was on the side of Mount Whitney. And uh, Mount Whitney has this amazing, uh, amazing move called the Fresh Air Traverse, which is uh, a eight and a half foot roped in jump because there are no handholds and there is no hardware drilled into that wall. So basically your partner anchors himself in, gives you slack and you run and jump. And we were right around the corner from that and then it blizzard closed in and so we turned around and went back. Mm. I have never seen the Fresh Air Traverse, uh, and it's been one of my dreams to see it, but we turned back, Mm -hmm. and we made the right move. Uh, I've turned back from many, I've turned back from more things than I've accomplished in my very short climbing career. Uh, Tell me about that instinct, the turn back instinct, coupled with the, what do you tell mom and dad and brother and sister and son and daughter I'm going to do this thing. Exactly. So 
in preparation for Antarctica, I took an ice diving class on the border of the U.S. and Canada on the St. Lawrence River. I wanted to feel that cold water before I was actually in negative two degree water. So this was zero degrees. So it was my first time in a dry suit uh, down there that Otter dry, dry Suit sponsored me for. And I want to thank them. Um, hey, I'm the one who does the plugs. It's my pod. Gotcha. <laughs> no, all good. All good, Alexander. Um, and the second day of the ice diving, it started raining on the surface, which isn't too bad. But then lightning started. And the people on the surface were sort of pulling me back or they weren't letting me go any further because in an ice dive, uh, you're anchored on the ice, but then you have a tender on the surface. And after a certain point, he's not going to let you go any further. So he kept putting, pulling me back and my instructor wanted to take a photo of me, but like we knew that there was lightning up there. We knew that people were up there. So for the group's inherent safety, we're like, let's, we're cutting this dive. We need to go. We need to get out of here right now. And Richard, what do you do when you're when you're leaving on you know a big expedition and there is inherent risk? Where how do you how do you balance your the loves of your life with the loves of your life? Well, first of all, my father was the first man to solo the Pacific Ocean in an airplane. So I grew around, grew up with people who did things that that is absolutely one of the most amazing things I've ever heard in my life. So um, I'm mind blown right now. So one of the things that my father taught me, in fact, uh, I was working on my pilot's license before I was getting my driver's license, is that my father would put me in sort of aviation situations that would be pretty hairy, like a full power stall. And he'd just sort of be yawning in the corner. So my father... Um, always had this bubble of calm around him. And I remember once, and I haven't had that many near-death experiences, I was in a whitewater uh, kayak uh, canoe race, and I, and I got pulled into what's called a strainer, and I knew I was going to go under this tree that was across the river. And as I was going down, I thought to myself, okay, you've got a minute, just find you know the light, in other words, where I was going to get out of the water, but keep yourself in that bubble of calm. So I, I could calculate in my head pretty much, you know, this is 45 seconds, this is 50 seconds, but again, trying to remain calm. And I think that's an important lesson he instilled in me. Now, I, I, I sometimes in filmmaking uh, are around what would be perceived as dangerous animals like crocodiles and alligators and all that kind of stuff. So I usually go onto YouTube and I look at accidents or people gotten mauled by them and not because I have a perverse interest of people getting mauled by an animal or bitten but i want to learn from other people's mistake yeah you could see uh patterns of behavior that's right and especially when you're dealing with animals uh you know you just don't want to become casual or complacent uh so you know again that's just all an apprenticeship of training over years uh now that i've sort of gotten a little higher on the explorer's totem pole or even in filming Everybody sets up my tent, cooks my meal. A lot of, a, a lot of the skills that I had growing up uh, are sort of like, God, I don't do this stuff anymore. People, you know, what knot is that again? You know, oh, here, bait my hook. <laughs> it's, it's good to be king. Hey. <laughs> well, gentlemen, uh, since we're in the Explorers Club, uh, what's left? What's out there still? I know Alexander. Oh, Whitney, come on! You, you uh-huh. never did do that traverse. Well, you, well, yes, that's for. Well, maybe that's the answer. What's left there for you is an individual answer. My Mount Whitney is someone else's. Antarctica is someone else's. Bratislava. So maybe actually everything is out there. But let's talk amongst the elite explorers community. What you know. Uh, Range Rover famously drove across the Darien Gap in 1972. I don't think pretty much anyone has pretty much done it since. Now they just drive in Darien, Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> hey, careful. That hits close to home. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, no, it was Connecticut, and Connecticut's on the other side of the border, so I don't really care. Uh, what, 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 what's, what's the next Holy Grail? Uh, I, I sort of blithely said the other day uh, during the Everest uh, disaster was like, there's so many cool, unnamed, unsummited mountains, super technical, super awesome, all over the world that have never been touched. I mean, why wouldn't someone want to go and do that rather than stand on a Trader Joe's line that happens to go up the side of Everest? 
going back to attitude, I think it's because of that Instagram moment, Instagram experience. And if you're, like I said before, like if you're internalizing the experiences that you want and going at it for it, for your own sake of curiosity, you're going to go to those caves that nobody's ever been in before. You're going to that little piece of ocean that nobody's ever been there before. Uh, for example, I was on an expedition to Laos, an Explorers Cup flag expedition, and nobody's been in those caves. Uh, the locals were, they didn't have the gear nor the technical expertise, and my expedition leader, he was there the year before, and he saw these little holes in the wall, 120 foot high up limestone cliff faces, and he was like, oh, what's up there? I want to see. Those caves didn't really go back too far, but we can say we were the first ones there. And so caves and oceans are one of the last frontiers that maybe the average person does have a chance to be first. Richard? Well, I'd like to say that I do aspire to drive a Range Rover through Darien. I just haven't quite got there to afford it. And I do tr shop at Trader Joe's all the time. And I bring my own bag. You know, so. Oh, yeah, of course. So, um, you know, depending on what your discipline in, there's different holy grails. But I, I, if you'd ask me you know, what the big money is sort of working on right now or, or you know, the guys with all the uh, toys. I, I, I'd say finding life outside of Earth. I think that, you know, the first, and that could be sooner than we think, the idea of discovering uh, life outside of the Earth is pretty big. I, I know a lot of people point to Mars, but to me, a man or woman walking on Mars isn't going to be as um, great as when we walked on the moon. It's just a technical extension of a the technology of tech yeah, that we little, have, yeah, you know? A little bit, but I think that um, because of the sacrifice that person might have to be being exposed to radiation and mm -hmm. cancer and all mm -hmm. that, there's a lot less nobility in it. But I think that whole idea of life outside of our planet to me is, is very compelling because you know when i grew up the paradigms of my youth were nine planets life existed above freezing below boiling and that you know our blue planet was unique you know there's good reason to think that it does extend outside there so yeah i would say uh finding life outside of earth to that's me, my personal uh thing that would make me sit up and go wow that's that's amazing that's probably it and uh, Francis Fukuyama famously said, uh, history is over at the collapse of the uh, Berlin Wall and the end of the Cold War. Obviously, history is not over. But, for example, does the, does the discovery of extraterrestrial life, does that mean exploring is over? Does that end the game? I think exploring is more of an attitude. Again, attitude, <laughs> internal factor, and those discoveries shouldn't make you think that that's it. Those discoveries should lead you to saying, that's it, but what else is after it? What else is out there? Oh, right. There's a natural progression. Every single time we think we've reached the end of history, it turns out we're wrong and it opens a new chapter. Well, I mean, I think that that's kind of a dumb statement thinking history is over. Oh, yeah. That's why that book's been yeah, debunked. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you look at someone like Darwin... Darwin, uh, his voyage to discovery to the Galapagos um, and his whole idea of evolution, that was a very long process from the time he took his voyage to started publishing and then getting critical um, discussion one way or another. You're talking about 20, 25 years. And one of the great things about exploration today is how instantaneous it is and the sharing of data. And so while people have this feeling that um, everybody stood on just about every place on terra firma, I think that um, exploration is accelerating at a pace that's, you know, unreal, um, whether it be outer space, uh, whether it be in the oceans. Um, I think that 
previously during the time of, of Darwin or even further back to Magellan, it was a cult of personality. And now it's really becoming a cult of data that I find that we're finding more empirical ah. truth and we tend to, to sort of, you know, you don't have at the Royal Geographic Society people arguing whether there's snow on the equator and, you know, getting into fist fights. It's, it's just, <laughs> you know, people still get into fist fights, but in, in different ways. I get it. I get it. Uh, it it's now uh, it's now a community effort rather than the the lone bold individual who goes what's over yonder and comes back with a handful of snow and says there was snow up there. Now it's there is snow up there, but what kind of snow and why does it fall there? And here we go. And if we analyze that photo with this photo and blah 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 blah. And by the way, what does that mean for that river basin? And what does that mean for that seafloor? Because they're all interconnected. And now the data drives that absolutely it's so much more comprehensive that's really really fascinating gentlemen this has been so cool and I hope to come back again to talk about this more because I I want to hear about this flight across the uh, Pacific Ocean but I think we're gonna wrap it up but first Alexander can you tell everyone where they can find your uh, your Instagram and your travels and your YouTube's uh, Sure. Um, so my website is rickterman.com, R-I-K-H-T-E-R-M-A-N. And you can learn more about me and all my projects and social media through that website. Excellent. And President Richard Weiss, can we tell uh, what, where we can find what the Explorer Club is doing? What's coming? What's the next big thing on your docket? And how can people follow you? And maybe uh, become much of an adventurer to get in these hallowed halls. Um well, I have two television shows on air, both on PBS. One is called Born to Explore with Richard Weiss, where I play Richard Weiss. <laughs> and the other one is Weekends with Yankee, which is about New England. And, um, you know, our website here at the Explorers Club is explorers.org. And, you know, our members open up a history book and you can read about the Explorers Club. This is absolutely amazing. Richard, Alexander, thank you so much, guys. Have a fantastic afternoon.